Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. This is where success happens. A member of the industry syndicate, Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome American heroes, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Thank you. I, I, can, I can promise you out of the gate that we're not as cool as that video makes us seem. So, we're going to talk to you today about some of those lessons that we did learn in combat on the battlefield and how you can take those lessons and bring them back and apply them to your life and your business. So, you look up at the screen, you can see some of these images, and these are pretty familiar nowadays of what that SEAL training is like carrying logs around, putting boats on your heads, doing a bunch of push-ups and pull-ups, and always with that bell in the background, that if you ring that bell at any moment, you're out of the training, you can go get comfortable and warm and not be a SEAL. Now, when I got done with that training, it was 1991, that first Gulf War had ended in about 72 hours, and there was no more war. So what did we do? Well, I'll tell you what I did went around the world, worked with other countries, and we trained, and we trained, and we trained, and we trained. We, dive, we did diving, we did parachuting, we did shooting, and that's pretty much what our life consisted of. I actually ended up getting picked up for a commissioning program, which meant I became an officer. And because I hadn't been to college, I had to go to college. So my uh, Uncle Sam paid for me to go to college at the University of San Diego. Absolutely, and as you can see from the pictures, if you've never been there, you should come and visit. One of the most beautiful cities in the world. And there I was, going to college, enjoying that life, surfing, spending time at the beach, spending time with my uh, wonderful family, and enjoying everything that San Diego has to offer. And then this happened. And where this day brought a lot of uncertainty to most Americans, this day, to me, made one thing very certain. And that was that I was going to war. We kind of kicked off the war in Afghanistan and then very quickly shifted focus to Iraq. And myself and my SEAL platoon watched the beginning of the air war. We weren't there yet. We watched the air war take place. We watched that transition into a ground campaign. We watched the regime get toppled. And that's right about the time when my platoon showed up in Baghdad. And we did a very simple type of operation called capture kill, which really needs no explanation. They would tell us where a bad guy is, and we'd go capture them or kill them. Now, while that was a, for lack of a better word, fun mission, it was also not as effective strategically as it needed to be. And as time went by, we started to hear a new word about the war in Iraq, and that war word was insurgency. And all of a sudden, these little elements that were kind of running around haphazardly throughout the country, they started to unify, and they formed what's called an insurgency. 
And what the US did was actually not correct. When you face an insurgency, you have to fight them. And what the US did at the time was withdraw onto our bases, do everything we could do to prevent casualties. And what that did with the enemy was embolden them and made those insurgents realize they could keep us on our bases and they could probably get us out of Iraq. Nowhere in Iraq was this more evident than in the city of Ramadi, which you just saw the video on. And I'll give a quote from that colonel, Marine Corps intelligence colonel. And this got leaked to the press, and this was right before we went on deployment. This is what my guys, Leif, and all of our troop gets told. That the social and political situation has deteriorated to a point that US and Iraqi troops are no longer capable of militarily defeating the insurgency. The report went on to say that Ramadi and Al-Ambar province was all but lost. During that time, as things got worse and worse, Leif and I formed up into what's called Task Unit Bruiser, two SEAL platoons of which Leif was the commander of one of those SEAL platoons called Charlie Platoon. In the spring of 2005, when we became Task Unit Bruiser and I got to work for Jocko, we started training and we started preparing for a year, almost a full year of training to prepare us for combat. Jocko taught us to be to push hard, to push our team even harder uh, than we thought we needed to, than we had seen before, train for that worst case scenario, even those of us that have been to Iraq before. And, and the training instructors, as you might imagine, SEAL training instructors, they got a pretty high bar. Jocko pushed that bar even higher. We, we got to own this, we got to own our training. If we feel like we're not as good as we need to be, then we got to get better. We got to take charge of that ourselves. And thank God we did that because we deployed to that worst battlefield, the most dangerous battlefield in Iraq at the time, the city of Ar-Ramadi. And when we got there, as you saw from those photos and from the video, just rubble pile buildings, burned out hulks of vehicles, very few people thought that we could win. And we've been on the ground for about a month there, and in comes the Ready First Brigade of the 1st Armored Division. As you saw from the video, Colonel McFarland and his, his staff of, uh, of soldiers, 5,500 soldiers and Marines that were attached uh, underneath the, uh, the 1st Armored Division. And they came in not with just firepower, not with just tanks, but they brought a new attitude, a winning attitude, that this, this mission is not impossible. They certainly understood it was difficult, that it was dangerous, but they knew that we could win and that we would win if we implemented the right strategy. And that strategy, they called seize, clear, hold, and build. And that was a radical strategy. It was totally outside the box. What Jocko just described of sitting on bases, spending most of our time on the bases on the outskirts for US forces, going into town uh, every once in a while, getting in firefights, but coming back. But this was a strategy to go into the worst enemy-held neighborhoods, put US forces there permanently, and take those areas back one neighborhood at a time. And so what possible impact could we have? I had about 40 SEALs with me, and they had 5,500 soldiers and Marines and giant tanks. Well, I didn't look as what, what impact could we have, what could we do different? I looked at it, how can we support them? How can we help them? And I went to the table and said, hey, Colonel, 
We understand what your mission is. We want to support you, and that's what we're here to do. And what that meant was, as the brigade went into those enemy-controlled territories, we would go in before the brigade, usually, and set up what we called overwatch positions, where we'd get high ground, have the tactical advantage, where we could see what the enemy was doing when they couldn't see us, and when they would maneuver to attack coalition forces, we would kill them. We'd take a small, our small group of guys, bring with a lot of firepower, go in under cover of darkness, right into the enemy's backyard into some of those areas that nobody else could get into, and eliminate as many enemy fighters as we could, disrupt their attacks on the friendly forces, make them a little bit safer, make those neighborhoods a little bit safer for the Marines and soldiers that were coming in to build the combat outposts and live, live there. So if you look up here at the screen, you can see on your left is what we deployed into. Total chaos. As Leif talked about, rubbled buildings, destroyed vehicles littering the streets. That's what we arrived into. We went into those neighborhoods, we secured them, we took care of that local populace. Because amidst all that madness, there was regular families, Iraqi civilians, that just wanted to live their life. They wanted to be happy. They wanted to raise their kid. They wanted to play soccer on Saturday. That's what they wanted to do. And eventually, as we moved into their neighborhoods, and we communicated with them, they started to come to our side. And they started telling us where the bad guys were. And they started telling us where the bombs were planted in the road. And that was the tipping point. When that local populace came over to our side, that was the tipping point. And about six months after we left, the enemy attacks, which had been 30 to 50 a day while Leif and I were there, went down to one a day, and then one a week, and then finally one a month. And about nine months after we got back, we received these images here, if you look on the top right, of what life had changed and what it was like in Ramadi now. You had girls going to school, you had civilians running businesses and trying to make money, and that, that top right picture is a road race that they held for the citizens of Ramadi, giving out numbers, trophies, the whole nine yards. And it was pacified. And from there, they took that same strategy. They took the strategy to Baghdad. They took the strategy to the rest of Iraq. And we stabilized Iraq to a point where we were able to turn it over to Iraqi forces and bring our American troops home. Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am super excited about Sales Mastery 2020, the live digital experience. This is the first time in the 28 year history of Sales Mastery that we've actually gone entirely digital, responding to the market, and we're gonna be broadcasting the event live. What does this mean for you? Well, first of all, front row access, yes, front row access to the longest running event and most extensive training event in the industry, bar none, and 30 days of access to every session after the event has concluded. No airfare, no hotel reservations, no extra expenses, just cutting edge content from world-class speakers, trainers, and industry experts delivered straight to you in the comfort of your own office or home. 
click the link in the show notes and check out the speakers, panels, and agenda. Over 10,000 attendees have already registered. Secure your spot today.